I am Dr. Pamela, and I will be joined by two guests today. In the first hour, Dr. Nicole Kamek, and later in the show, businessman and author George Johnson. And we are going to be discussing the paradox of Black stress and Black joy, how the two can coexist, and how we are, as uh, as Black people, um, really all over the world, are navigating through these two concepts of Black stress and Black joy. Americans are among the most stressed in the world, although the chronic condition of stress can have negative side effects on all persons, including psychosocial and contextual factors, specifically the common and pervasive exposure to racism and discrimination creates an additional daily stressor for African-Americans. So today we're going to explore not only what black stress looks like in America, but also the transition and the experience of black joy. I'm really excited about this topic. I know I say this every week, but this is something that has will, will offer some practical uh, life applications, some some real scenarios. Uh, so I'm really excited, especially to talk about, uh, about this with our guests. So stay with us, get involved in the conversation, go to the Sensation Station Network Facebook page and, and add your comments and, and um, your stories. And we'd love to integrate that into the conversation. We'll be right back on the live exchange. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and um, today we are talking about the paradox of black stress and black joy and how the two can coexist um, and what we need to do um, to experience joy in our lives. I'd like to introduce our first guest. Um, Dr. Nicole L. Hammock is a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Maryland. She received her bachelor's degree from Howard University and her PhD in clinical psychology from the George Washington University. Throughout her career, Dr. Hammock, uh, Kamek, my, um, sorry, my, uh, Dr. Kamek has focused on identifying ways to address the cultural and systemic issues that impact Black mental health and wellness. This passion led to the development of Black Mental Wellness Corps, uh, of which she is president and CEO, which aims to increase access to evidence-based information and resources about mental health from a Black perspective, to highlight and increase the diversity of mental health professionals, and to decrease the mental health stigma in the mental health community. Uh, Welcome, 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 Dr. Nicole Kamek. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm looking forward to hearing your your take on this important issue of uh, Black stress and Black joy. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so I I know, so first question I'm gonna ask, just right out the gate, why Mm. Black? You know, and and to you and me, it's obvious, right? But <laughs> why why focus specifically on the black community? Do other communities, you know, not have the same needs that we have? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's some number of reasons, and I'm glad you started with that question because we get it a lot, and I often want to scream because <laughs> when we think about mental health, when we think about the theories that guide how we assess what we consider normal, abnormal, all of these things is based on white people. Yeah, There are things that are happening within the field and that have been happening where people are trying to insert culture. Um, But how do we, you know, where do we go if we just want resources to know about ourselves? How do we highlight that? Because there are different experiences. So I'll tell you just professionally, 
I was working on a military base and I was working with a lot of black women. And at the time I wanted to give a resource to explain depression in black women. Mm. Now I know that it's different. Mm. I know that we express depression in different terms, um, that it is not always what we see on TV where it's like crying or eating ice cream and sitting in bed and not working. Yeah, I know that depression can be, you know, experiences of pain. I'm having backaches. I get a lot of headaches. Um, I'm not sleeping. I'm angry. I'm irritable. I don't have patience the way that I used to. Nothing's making me happy. Um, and I was trying to find a resource just to be like, here, read this. Because Black women, they were like, I am not depressed. I get up every day and go to work. I take care of my family. And I'm like, okay, but yeah. <laughs> you're depressed yeah. and this is why. I could not find the resources. Hmm. Like there was nothing. I started reaching out to colleagues. Like, what are you giving people? Because I know that there are these articles from grad school, but I can't give an everyday person some peer review article and read right. through 15 pages and get it. Yeah. And so that was it. Like noticing that there were no resources and it was like, we need to create that. Yeah. And that's what we did. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, some of the things that you said are very common among um, Black women in particular. And Black men also have their own unique ways, which we'll mm -hmm. definitely get into as I see that you're also doing some work with Black men. Um, but this whole idea of I'm not going to claim it. I, that's one thing that I've heard um, over the years. You know, I'm not claiming depression, yeah. mm -mm, you know, and how do you get past that whole fear of even allowing the word depression to come out of your mouth? Because therefore it'll make it true if one says it. Right. And especially in our community where a lot of times claiming depression can be seen as a weakness. And that was something I was fighting against in like, I'm strong. Mm -hmm. I can deal with this. And it's like, you can be both of these things. They yes. don't have to, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Can we acknowledge that there is something happening right now? Right. <laughs> I'll call it depression. <laughs> um, but that's so that even to get people to buy into treatment and some of the things in therapy that will help with depression. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes it's the conversation, like, let's not even focus on what we're calling it but could you try a different way? Because the way that you're doing things now is not working. What yeah. if I can give you some tools or we can work through some things that might help you navigate life challenges in a different way or help improve how you're feeling? And so some of it, a lot of times is honestly building trust and rapport. Yeah. Um, and so in the beginning, it may feel like, what are we even doing in therapy? But Oftentimes it's building that relationship, understanding that I'm not here to judge you, that I'm not telling you what you should do and shouldn't do. It's not like that judgmental relationship. It's right. about understanding that you're a human, you're going through something, and here are some strategies that might help you get through this time. Um, oftentimes, once that trust is there, you get the buy-in. And so mm -hmm. it's starting with those baby steps, like, just try this and see what happens. Just see. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just and then, can we add something on to that later? Yeah. Um, and so I'm very, I think when we go back to why black, because oftentimes you have to be aware of those intricacies. You have to be aware of language. You have to be aware of stigma and what all of these things represent in our community and not saying things that may make someone feel isolated or unheard. And right. some strategies in therapy might, you know, make some people feel like I've heard it often. This isn't for us. 
Mm. And so being able to incorporate some of those things into our sessions. Tell me what it's that, that what it looks like to build trust with somebody. Um, and we have about 30 seconds before we go to break. So if you can try to keep it in that range. <laughs> mm-hmm. So building trust is listening, is not judging, is not, you know, making someone feel like they're wrong for how they're feeling or what they're doing. It's showing up each week for the sessions that they come to. Um, and it's sort of being there with them in those vulnerable moments in ways that they may not have experienced outside of the therapy room. Wow. I love it. And that takes time. It's not just something that happens overnight. It takes time and patience from both parties. Um, so we're going we're gonna to go ahead and go to break. This is great foundational information. We're going to dig a little bit deeper um, and then we're going to come back to trending topics. So stay with us. We'll be right back on the live exchange. Always trust everyone to be themselves, but trust in the fact that you can see them well. I mean, so it's like, you know, trust, trust, trust. It takes too much energy to not trust someone. I mean, it takes too much energy. You only got to stay two steps ahead of them or whatever. But just trust them to be them. Right. To be themselves. Trust the snake to right. bite you. Right. Trust the lie to laugh. Trust right. the thief to steal from you. Like, trust them to be them. Too. But know them when you see them. Right was um, rap legend DMX, also um, it, who, who's also known as his original name, um, Earl Simmons. Um, he um, known to be for being a pinnacle in the 1990s and 2000s hip hop scene. He died on Friday at the age of 50, um, according to a statement to his family given to the AP. Um, Earl, quote from his family, um, Earl was a warrior who fought to the very end. He loved his family with all his heart and we will cherish the time spent with him. Um, And they added that his music inspired countless fans around the world and his iconic legacy will live on forever. Um, You know, even as I talk about this, I'm I'm just, I'm feeling this lump in my throat. I'm feeling this heaviness. Um, There's just been so much loss over this past year um, with, I mean, gosh, I can't even begin to name, you know, um, but starting in in 2020 with Kobe Bryant, which was really difficult for all of us. Um, And then, you know, we've got Chadwick Boseman and I mean, my gosh, the the, the most unexpected, you know, kinds of uh, pain that's been going on. And Dr. Kamek, I'm just curious to know how um, this has really, how have you seen these celebrity deaths impact people in their own personal lives? We didn't know them, but for some reason, like I said, even just watching that clip of DMX, which I actually want to unpack some of what he said, um, but even watching that clip was just heavy. I'm trying to shake that up right now. Yeah, I'm glad you took it back to Kobe Bryant because um, it was interesting. I work with veterans um, and I didn't I don't know why I missed it. Like I knew people we were all impacted by his untimely death. Um, But the amount of men who came to therapy expressing that loss and hurt and Mm -hmm. grief of losing Kobe Bryant, it opened up space to talk about feelings. Mm. Um, And for so many people, when we think about Kobe Bryant, Chadwick Boseman, DMX, it's what they represent in our lives, right? Like whether it's, when I think of DMX, that's like my high school, college, like everything, right? Like I even went and pulled out my old videos from Howard when he came and did a concert on campus. Like 
This was our life. He represents that free time, you know, like all of those positive feelings that you have for men, for women too. Kobe, what he represents with basketball and what he was able to do on the court, seeing him as a father, what that felt like to know that he lost his life with his daughter, but that he had a wife and children left. Men came to therapy thinking about their families. Mm. What am I doing to protect them? If I'm leave today or tomorrow, what happens to my family? So I think sometimes uh, the celebrities, even though we don't know them, they represent key parts of our life. Um, it almost feels like they're invincible in some ways, yeah, uh, because they're in this you know spotlight, and so it's a reminder of our own mortality, you know, mortality, and that we we're not here forever. For Chadwick Boseman, I will tell you that I work in a primary care clinic. I can personally tell you that there are people who scheduled appointments to get a colonoscopy that had not gotten it before. Wow. Wow. And so I think, you know, for all of us, we're looking at the loss, we're looking at the pandemic, we're looking at the social injustices, we're looking at the amount of loss that we just over the last year is not just COVID-19, it's not just life, it's like loss of how we connect how we live, how we operate in the world. It's so much. And I think that people, it's important that we take those steps, like take a step back and see how is this affecting me? What am I feeling? What am I doing? So that you can even get an idea of what you need to do to take care of yourself. So much. I mean, it's it's so much. And and we do. We see ourselves in them. We see ourselves as the parent um, that they were. We see themselves as the brother, the uncle, the sister, um, you know, you know, whoever we're talking about, you know, in in what they were. So it's it's it is it's very impactful. And I think um, one of the things that I I love is how we come together, at least at the very least on social media, to share what we're feeling, you know, about mm-hmm. this loss. I think there was um, there was a video of, um, you know, one of DMX's, you know, co- co-performers, and I can't think of his name right now, um, but he was in tears on Instagram and just, I mean, let it all out. This was my brother. This was, I don't have any biological brothers and sisters, DMX was it for me. Um, and, and so I, you know, nobody wants to see us, you know, in pain and, and crying and, and so forth. But gosh, I feel like there's, this has been an opportunity for us to release that, to let that kind of emotion out. Has, has, have you seen social media being an avenue for freeing our emotions in a healthy way? In a healthy way, like people being able to express that hurt, that loss, what the person represents for them. Um, I think that those are outlets. Those are ways of releasing those emotions. Those are ways of finding community, mm-hmm. of getting, you know, sometimes you put up a post and someone will write a comforting word. Yeah. Um, and you don't know what that does to a person outside of the social, you know, of social media. That's something they can carry with them. And yeah. so it can be an outlet and expression of emotions. There was a post I saw this week and it talked about. Um, I think it was like someone made a comment on a post and then someone else screenshot the comment and put it on a post. But anyway, it talked about the thing that we can all respect about DMX is that he was vulnerable. 
that yeah. he talked about his feelings. He talked about his challenges, his love of God. And we never questioned his masculinity. And right. that if he could do that, how many more men, how many more women could do that same thing and release their emotions in that way? So, oh, that's so powerful. That's so powerful because so for so long, emotions has been kind of downplayed as this, this feminine thing, this soft thing. There's nothing soft about DMX in terms of being weak, you know. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that. That's that's so important. Um, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to look a little bit um, at Black Joy. Um, and I do want to come back to some of what DMX said in that clip um, about trust. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are talking about Black stress and Black joy. I'm joined by Dr. Nicole Kamek, who's helping us um, just kind of dissect and, and discuss some of this stuff. Um, and, and right now we're looking at um, just kind of that when it hits us with the, with the morning. Um, we just lost the MX. Um, we've had over the past year um, just so many shocking losses. In fact, I'm on, a, um, inst- on Instagram. I have a follower. His name is um, Professor um, Paul Rock Larison, and he just instantly, I mean, he's, um, uh, an, you know, a, an education, um, you know, advocate and um, just, you know, a lot of, of, of powerful work just through his Instagram page. And I, I log in one day and suddenly there is, he had a heart attack. He was born in 1989. And so when I look at it, you know, I was born in, I, I, you know, I didn't even do the math. I was born in 76, so I'm 44. So I'm like, this dude was young. Um, and the post showed him in the hospital, had an, you know, he had a heart attack. And then the next post was memorial service. And I'm just like, what is happening? Uh, you know, and, and, and with DMX, um, you know, he had, he battled drugs his whole life. He, from, from what I heard, that's most official is that he died of a heart attack. There were lots of talks about his, his drug use. Um, and that drug use starting with, um, being given laced drugs as a, a teenager, you know? And so these are killers in both cases that, that shouldn't have happened that were way that this caused them to leave way too soon. Um, and, and I'd just love to hear your thoughts on, on just that whole idea of these premature deaths. And, and yeah. I think, I don't know. I think it goes back to when you see those premature deaths, it's hard not to relate it to yourself, maybe to your parents or your family or those around you, because we have this idea like we all know we're going to die one day. But we have this picture that we're going to be old, that the people around us will be old, that you get to live to have these experiences until you're you know, a hundred or older, and then something happens and it's unexpected. And it's like, wait, Mm -hmm. we say this all the time, but this is a representation that life is short. Yeah. What does that mean? How do I feel with that? As you're getting older, how do you grapple with that fact? Um, And I think that that's a part of why in some cases it, it really does hit us and it's unexpected. It's like, we know it'll happen, but we don't expect it when it does. And then you often think about death happening when it's like, if it does happen, it's like, oh, it's this, you know, you had this illness that was dragged out for a long time. Or um, you don't, when you hear about those sudden deaths, it's again, a reminder like, whoa, this could happen at any point. How do you prevent it? So it's almost like a fear comes with that as well. And I think for DMX, for so many people, what he represented 
with his vulnerability in talking about his challenges with substance use is like so many people either they have either been through that experience, they know someone who has been through that experience or is going through it. And so there's this part of you that's fighting to see him win. And yeah. that's one of the things that I respected the most about him is that through his journey of life, you think of 50 years, like the amount of vulnerability, of truth, yeah. of transparency, that's how we have those authentic conversations. That's yeah. how we don't get to hide and act like something doesn't exist because it's in your face. And yeah. I love that with everything that he went through, with everything that he was going through, that he always prayed, that he always talked about God, that it never altered his faith. And it's right. like, sometimes it's easy to just look at the hardships or the difficulties or the challenges that a person goes through. But if you looked at him, like, were you able to see God? Were you able to see the way that God used him to reach people that, you know, some pastors in a church never may have? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and such wisdom. Um, you know, if we look back at the clip that we showed and that clip really talked about um, trust, you know, there's so many different things we can pull from his his uh, wisdom. Um, and, and this one in particular, I love because trust is, is a thing in um, the black community. Who can we trust? Who can we not trust? And he said something that I thought was really interesting. It takes too much energy not to trust. Just trust that people are going to be who they are. If they're a snake, they're going to do what snakes do. You know, if they're, you know, whatever they are is what they're going to do. So just trust that. What are your thoughts about that idea of, um, you know, take, spending energy not trusting? What does that even, does that have an impact? Absolutely. You know, when he, I saw that clip, well, I, I listened to that podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I saw the clip, I'm like, it's true. It's the same thing we say about anger. Like how much energy uh, do you take to hold on to anger to someone? Right. Like it's almost like you're exerting more energy to not trust because when you don't trust a person, you're looking for confirmation not to trust them. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a relationship and you're questioning your partner, you're you're questioning everything about them. How did they say this? What time did they come home? What was the tone of their voice? Do they normally do this? Do you see how much energy that is? Yeah. And it's like one of those things where it's like. You know, his point was, if someone is a liar, trust them to lie to you. That's what they're going to do. I think it also gives us space to, if we go even deeper, you accept people for who they are and where they are. Mm. People can change. There's growth. There are things that, you know, may happen in life that puts them on a different trajectory. But if I can just accept you for who you are in this moment, it helps me to see you more clearly instead of trying to change you or make you be something else or whatever else. So it, I agree with that in a lot of ways. And I think that in the black community, you look at what happens around us. There are so many reasons that trust is hard to just give up. Right. So when you think about our history in this country, when you think about the experiences that have happened since our existence in this country until today, right? As we look at the events in the news and what's happening with a black man walking through his neighborhood. Right. Oh, goodness. It's hard to just trust. It's yeah. hard to not feel that people will hurt you because you see it. And so, you know, during these times, it's like, how do you lean in? And surround yourself with those places where you do feel safe, with the people that you do trust, with the people who do give you that sense of safety and security. 
that's the perfect, perfect segue into um, the, the idea of joy and um, this concept of black joy. This has been, um, and in fact, I'm following a hashtag uh, of black joy on Instagram. And it actually is so refreshing because you see, you know, just black people in love and loving life and smiling and, and all of that. And and the, so the idea um, has really kind of taken root in recent years um, and largely because of the pain and the struggle and the images that we often see of Black people experiencing violence. So like the situation you just mentioned in Columbia, um, North, was it North or South Carolina? Um, and, it, you know, the guy is walking in his own neighborhood and is, and is really, you know, being accosted um, because he's in his own neighborhood. And of course, the shootings that we're seeing, the violence against Black people. Um, and since these are such common threads in the media, um, that on top of the way that African-Americans have been impacted by COVID. And so with all of the, the compounding all of, of all of this, um, it, the, the idea of black joy has really um, surfaced. Um, and even though this was started in 19, I'm sorry, in 2015, um, and by uh, Cleaver Cruz really kind of started this thing called the Black Joy Project and shared photos of black people on social media that um, were joyful to, to counter this whole idea of tragedy. Um, and so the idea is not that Black joy is about erasing our difficulties or pretending it's not happening. It's not this toxic positivity, but it's more so to tell the whole story. You know, we, we've heard one side of the story probably much more than we need to. But the, the, the joy movement, the Black joy idea is, is a a way of show, telling the whole story. It's also a form of resistance. Um, and, and there's a quote here from Cruz that says the world may be working against us, but in the face of it um, is really an activist movement for black people who still choose and find joy. Humor has always been an element um, in, you know, for the black community. Um, this is why we have so many comedians coming out into our community because sadness is also how we know how to laugh. Mm hmm. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the movement. You know, it was um, I think yesterday I was on social media and you're looking at all of these images and all of these things that are happening back to back and you're feeling the heaviness of it. And then I came across Taraji um, Henson's page and she mm -hmm. had black joy or like a reminder that we have joy or something like that. And it was like 10 images of black people just living life, of smiling, of dancing, of skating, of doing whatever their passion is. And there is something about that that's grounding, right? It takes you out of it's all bad into remembering we have joy. You may you know, try to control or try to affect us in all of these ways, but you can't control this. This is who we are. It's our expression of life. It's our movement, how we relate, who, you know, like it's just yeah. so rhythmic and it's inspiring. And it can remind you that in the midst of all that is going bad, that there is all of this beauty in the world, beauty in our people, beauty in our community, and being able to have that balance. And then it can be a reminder to people of how do you find joy? I ask mm -hmm. that question all the time in therapy. What are you doing to take care of yourself? What gives you joy? Because mm -hmm. you need to know it. Because when it gets difficult and challenging, I'm going to need you to go do those things. 
Yes. So sometimes I love that you said it's a hashtag because I'm going to start telling people that. <laughs> sometimes it may be looking through the hashtag and just seeing these pictures and these images. Sometimes yeah. that joy is dancing. And if you're dancing by yourself, do it. Blasting yeah. your music, doing it. If you have a passion, you have art, if you, you know, whatever those little, I don't care how small it is or big it is, do it. Yeah. And so I love that you brought that up. And it's a, one of the things that we have to remember. And it's what makes us us. It's like our sauce. We need it. Right. Well, and the thing is that the two, the idea is that the two can coexist. So yes, Absolutely. we have stressors in, in society, um, but then we also can have joy. Some people have the stressors without the joy. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think part of what we want to see happen with this joy movement is how to, you know, how do we do exactly what you said? How do we find ways to interact? great joy into our lives. Um, we're going to go to a break, but when we come back, I want to know um, how we make sure that this this integration of joy into our lives is not a toxic positivity or a false mm-hmm. positivity, but that it's real, that we're not just trying to cover up and or dismiss what's really going on and how we're really feeling, but that we're doing this in a healthy way. So um, hopefully we can dive into that when we come back. Um, stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back on the live exchange. Welcome back to The Life Change. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined today by Dr. Nicole Kamek, and we're talking about the paradox and the simultaneous existence of Black stress and Black joy and what that looks like in our lives. Um, and right before the break, we were talking a little bit about Black joy, and um, there is a, a quote here by uh, Talisa Beasley. She's a licensed professional counselor, um, and she is saying that you know we should practice gratitude and mindfulness and embrace the present. Um, and in order to really feel joy, we have to identify what makes us happy. And I, I think that that's really good information, but I think we also need to be aware of what it means when that positivity is not healthy and when it's more of a toxic positivity and what we need to do to make sure that we are both taking care of ourselves, um, but but being intentional about experiencing happiness and joy. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Dr. Kamek. Yeah, I am so happy you brought this up because oftentimes in therapy that when I'm talking with people about like, again, you know, what can you do during these times? It is about those grounding experiences, what helps you feel grounded. We talk about joy. We talk about mindfulness meditation and we talk about the practice of gratitude. Um, And it's important to know that it's not doing those things to the point where you're in denial about what's happening, what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, how it's impacting you. It's sort of like you're going to do double the work, right? On the one end, you're going to acknowledge those feelings um, and you're going to have some strategies of how do you manage it? What do you do when the feelings come up? What are your outlets? Who are your social supports? Um, Journaling, all of those types of things. But then you're going to also add in those those things. So the mindfulness, gratitude, joy, meditation, Because what it does is you need something that's helping to lift your mood too. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to release it. I'm going to figure out how to deal with it, how to cope with it. But I'm also going to add those things in my life that give me a mood lifter, so to speak. Because what happens in our community is oftentimes when you think about the traumas that we have experienced, when you think about the stressors, when you think about, even as you mentioned earlier, the disproportionate ways that our community has been impacted by COVID-19, what that means financially, jobs, security, all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. You can get stuck in that. Oh, yeah. 
And when you get stuck in that, we often think we're talking about mental health, but we have to understand how much of our mental health is tied to our physical health. Right. And so it's going to come up when you think about high blood pressure, when you think about diabetes, when you think about heart disease, those are things that are like in our community. How much of that is the stressors that we've experienced and oh, not yeah. having a way of managing it? And so, again, finding that balance. Do not deny. Do not avoid the feelings. Do not act like it doesn't exist. You can do that. And you can still, it's like what you were saying earlier, they don't have to be exclusive. We can have both. Mm -hmm. I think it's about the balance though. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. We are multidimensional people. (laughs) We are (laughs) multidimensional. Yes. And so, you know, and in in light of everything that you're saying, you know, we have these different stressors, um, the finances, the COVID or or, or what have you. And then we turn on the TV and we see another black man or black woman who has been shot by police. And this is, um, you know, every time it happens, we think, you know, probably have a mix of feelings, you know, that, oh, here we go again. But okay, maybe this won't keep happening because now something's going to happen. Now somebody's going to put a law into place and convict. And, you know, and so we kind of have this, this paradox of feelings because on one hand, it's like, why would anything change now? But at the same time, we have to fight and demand change. Um, And and so to what extent these images in and of itself is traumatizing. I think after, um, Oh gosh, I can't, and it's so sad that that I can't I can't remember the name. There's so many names, right? Um, but mm-hmm. the 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 case in which the gentleman was shot in front of his girlfriend in the car, Orlando, Orlando Castile, yes, mm-hmm. Orlando, yes. That was the last time I was able to sit and watch a the graphic display of somebody getting. After that, I I I closed my eyes. I turned the TV off. I even covered my ears. I remember running on the treadmill once. And it was coming on uh, CNN and I am running on the treadmill with my hands over my ears saying, la, 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 la. And I'm like, how sad is that? That I am 44 years old and I have to cover my ears and say, la, 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 la. So I don't hear because I didn't even want to hear it, um, the, the, the footage. And they always tell you it's going to be hard to look at. So here it is. You know, how do we protect ourselves? Some people probably have a stronger I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the word is. It's it's there. It's I don't know. They can do it. I can't do it. How 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 do we? Navigate? I'll tell you. In my work, I was shouted over and over again. Like I think to some extent, I'm glad they have the videos because right. when you're thinking about if there's a chance at accountability, mm-hmm. the videos we need them. Yes. But I equate them to what they did during the era of lynchings. Mm, I'm going to put this black body on display and show you what can happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I hate it. Yeah. And there is no way that I can watch the killing of a black person and not feel it. Right. I'm going to think about myself. You know, I think about my daughter growing up in this world. I think about my family and the men in my family. I think about the boys in my family. Recently, it hit me like I have a godson who's 14 and I tease him all the time. Like, oh, my God, your voice is getting so deep. Listen to you. And this week I'm like, oh, my God, he'll be driving in two years. What if someone pulls him over? When do you have the conversation? I need to tell my cousin, you know, and it's just like these worries 
And that's what the videos do. That's what the images do. And what's happening now is it's not just on social media. It's on social media. It's on the news. It's coming in your email. It's in your conversations. And I would challenge people at a certain point, turn it off. Mm -hmm. Turn it off. Because you start to, people start relating. And again, I work with veterans. What ends up happening is every time something happens in the news, what happens in a therapy session is they they automatically equate it to this happened to me. This mm. happened to my friend. I recall the time I was pulled over by a police officer. People getting pulled over who may have never had the experiences and all of a sudden they're in this state of anxiety. I yeah. just got pulled. What's going to happen? Are my hands visible? Do I need to record it? We're living in fear. Yeah. And these images sort of keep us in that state. And so I would encourage you, like, monitor how much you take in, monitor right. how much you can manage. And when you do take it in, make sure, again, what are you doing to take care of yourself afterwards? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, And that anxiety you talk about with getting pulled over. I mean, there is a literal physiological response that I know that I've experienced and that I've heard described by other black people when, you know, when that officer cop car pulls up behind you and the breathing and the sweating and the uh, all of those things are very real. And when you talk about the link between physical health and mental health, when that anxiety happens all too often, can you talk about what that does to us physically over the long term? Yeah, I, I work in a primary care office. I'll make it quick. I work in a primary care clinic. And immediately the first thing I noticed is like, why are Black people coming in for the same things? Mm. What's happening? And it's not just that, you know, oftentimes it's like you need to eat a certain way and you need to um, exercise. But what happens in all of these other ways when we think about these racial stressors that we experience? How does that affect and link to that high blood pressure, diabetes, um, a lot of people on dialysis that's unexplainable? Um, think about the impact of all of those things physically and our mental health as well. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that could be a whole show all by itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back on the live exchange. Black Joy. I'm joined by Dr. Nicole Hammock. She is a licensed clinical psychologist um, in the state of Maryland. And um, we are um, really kind of at the tail end of our conversation. But one of the things, um, two of the things that I see that you're you're doing, um, you, you know, you have a children's mental health series um, and in that's coming out May 2021 and also this year, a virtual mental health conference. Um, so we'd love to hear uh, a little bit about each of those. Yeah, so with our, um, we have a national training program. So we work with undergrad and graduate students who are interested in a career in mental health, behavioral health. And our some of our trainees have put together a series of events in the month of May for Children's Mental Health Awareness Month. And they will, um, the topics range from just general mental health with children. Um, what are the, you know, what's common? When should you seek help? What are some of the things you should look out for, and that may be specific to the Black community when we think about misdiagnosis and trust. Um, There will be a wellness event, so thinking about children taking care of themselves, Um, a young love as we think about teenagers, young adults exploring love, and then one event related to peer 
parenting, queer parenting. Um, and so those events will be in May. They're all free. Check us out at blackmentalwellness.com. Um, and we'll put up the information related to those events. And then last year, one of our pivots was to have a mental health conference virtually. We were initially planning to have an in-person conference for 2021. And uh, last year, the theme was From Surviving to Thriving. And it's really about mental health and topics in the Black community. So we're doing that again this year, November 6th. It'll be virtual again. Um, some of the topics from last year, we had a barbershop and beauty shop session that focused on Black men talking barbershop style about mental health, vulnerability, masculinity, things that may be specific to men and mental health. Um, we had something similar for women. We talked about college students and mental health. Uh, trauma, wellness, education, and our, our Black and Brown students, and what are things we need to be considering in those fields. And so we're going to do it again, and it's going to be even bigger and better. And we've already started talking about topics that feel relevant for right now, topics that um, we wanted to touch on last year, but we ran out of space and time. <laughs> so um, again, you can follow us at Black Mental Wellness. We'll be releasing the Save the Date soon. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at Black Mental Wellness, where we put out um, mental health information daily. So, yeah. Love it. I love it. And you know, really, I mean, everything you said is, is incredibly important to be talked about for sure. Um, but the thing, the one thing that you mentioned that I don't think is addressed enough is this young love thing. <laughs> um, and that, again, a whole other show, but things that, that we aren't necessarily trained or educated to to keep our eyes open about like gaslighting and um you know different kinds of mental health conditions like um narcissism things that we just think well if we try harder if we just you know if i do if i become my best self you know i can help this relationship get to the right place when in fact there's something much deeper going on that we might not have any idea about at age 13 14 15 21, you know, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's, that's huge. Yeah, it's gonna, we're excited about that one. And I love that our trainees are leading this because as I taught when we're in the planning meetings, I'm like, dating now is different. Yeah. What you all do on social media and like the way that you date and your standards of dating are very different. And how do we sort of merge the worlds where you can pass down that knowledge, that language? Um, those skills and even making it safe for black people to date. Yeah. I think there's a whole cultural thing where in some aspects, you know, as you're dating and looking at options, there can be negative connotations to that. Yes. Um, but how do you learn unless you do it? Right. Uh, and so being able exactly, as you said, to talk about those different topics, um, I, I'm excited to see what comes up. I love it. I'm glad you're doing it. Um, well, we are at the at the top of the hour, so I wanted to go ahead and give you an opportunity to let people know how they can get in touch with you, should they want to engage you further in this conversation. Yeah, so we have a website that has a ton of free resources, so blackmentalwellness.com. We have resources related to what is black, you know, what is mental health? What are different disorders? What does it look like? What does it look like specific to our community? Um, we have information about coping and wellness strategies. Um, a ton of stuff is free. You can download it. You can come back to it at a later time. So blackmentalwellness.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Black Mental Wellness. Um, and if you email me, I am Dr. Kmac at blackmentalwellness.com. 
Um, and yeah, so we are out here, like, please reach out. We love the engagement from everyone. And it's how we sort of stay tuned to what people want, what they want more of. So please reach out. Uh, we always take into consideration uh, the different topics and things that people present to us. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. K. Mack. I'm going to say your name correctly from now on. (laughs) But thank you so much. I just, I love and I appreciate everything you've, um, that you're doing and, um, and, and such great insightful information today. So really grateful for that. And, um, hopefully we can have you back. Um, because like I said, there's a lot of subtopics that we could have delved into, um, in this time, but thank you so much. And, um, for all of you, uh, stay tuned. We're going to go ahead and go into our second hour on the live exchange. We'll be back. Hello and welcome to the second hour of the live exchange. Today we are talking about the paradox of black stress and black joy. In the first hour, we had uh, Dr. Nicole um, Kimak joined us to, uh, she's a licensed clinical psychologist and she joined us to really help us unpack this idea of black stress and what it looks like and um, and also integrating joy into our lives um, as a result. And um, also this hour, I'm going to be joined by George Johnson and he is going to share his story and um, what black stress, how that has manifested in his life and his experience, but then also um, how he has managed to find levels of joy also in his experience. Um, so once again, um, stay with us and, and jump on the Sensation Station Network Facebook page where we are live and you can um, get involved in the conversation. We'd love to hear your comments and your stories uh, and your questions. Um, And I'm looking forward to another great hour of dialogue around this topic of Black stress and Black joy. Stay with us. We'll be right back on The Live Exchange. Welcome back to The Live Exchange. And today we are talking about the paradox of Black stress and Black joy because both can exist. Um, And uh, we've had so much Black stress. It's time to really... Um, look at what it means to integrate Black joy into our lives as well. And I'm going to introduce our guest for this hour, um, George Johnson. So most kids growing up in Northside Richmond knew there were only three ways to make it out, bawling, rapping, or selling drugs. George Johnson went another way. With an unwavering dedication, a little business savvy, and a lot of hard work, he found himself at the helm of several businesses and multiple six-figure income streams by his early 20s. He became a lighthouse for family and friends, providing both an example and a means for many to rise above the challenges of the inner city. But along with the lofty highs have come many crushing lows, backstabbing family members, future crippling injuries, and uh, being indicted by the US government, and even those were not the worst. Now with his new memoir, Double Crossed, George is breaking down mental health stigmas in his community and shedding light on the importance of rejecting norms of violence and turmoil in order to prioritize yourself and your mental wellness. Welcome, George Johnson. How you doing? Hi there. What a story. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in hearing, um, you know, about just just kind of this journey that you've um, had, because I mean, I'm, I, you know, when I hear words like backstabbing family members, crip, you know, future crippling injuries, you know what? Wow. And then to be in your early 20s, well, to have, you know, ha- be on the helm of several businesses and six figure income streams by your early 20s. 
there's quite a story in there. So, <laughs> so where, where would you say that, you know, you said that you had that, there's three ways to making it out, balling, rapping, selling drugs. First question, was there any, did you choose any of those three? And if you did, um, how did you pivot away from that? Gotcha. Well, first and foremost, I appreciate you uh, bringing me on um, today. I've been, um, you know, following your platform for for a while now, and I appreciate you, you know, bringing me on. Um, secondly, I'm from your, your, your typical inner city uh, demographic. I'm from Richmond, Virginia, small um, city. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, it's the same demographics or situations that you probably see anywhere in the inner city or the hood, um, quote unquote, the hood. Um, you know, drugs. Yeah. Um, not a lot of opportunities to make it out or, or make ends meet. So people, you know, do a lot of stuff to make it work. Um, but right. basketball was always was what I was a tool that basically, you know, kept me out of a lot of different stuff. It was always going around, around going around, going on around me. But basketball kind of kept me focused and kind of, you know, kept me out of the way. Um, mm-hmm. But somehow, some way, you know, I always, I always had a a, a knack for business. Um, even in my book, I kind of speak on um, in sixth grade taking home ec class, and you know, it kind of was an uncool thing to do. Um, but uh, sewing was a was a task that we had to learn how to do. And I, at that early age, I had learned like if I could master how to sew, I could figure out a way how to monetize or basically make make money. And so I I, I, right. took, I took an interest of sewing, and I started a business in sixth grade of sewing. Um, patches on people's clothes. It was like a cool thing to do. Um, putting like logos of your favorite teams on your clothes. And I was making like $100 a day in sixth, seventh grade. Wow. Um, but basketball wow. was always, yeah, basketball was always um, my first love. I was able to get a, a, a scholarship to go to school. I, I'm, I'm, um, I majored in business. My minor was in accounting. Um, so I kind of made it out of my situation and where I was from. But the, the thing is, and that you hear the term a lot, the crabs in the barrel. Um, you know, I was able to. I still, you know, at the at my later twenties, ended up in the same in the situation of the same demographics and same situations of like my surroundings. And it was, I was in the in fighting for my life for four years um, between um, against the federal government, and both of my brothers had ended up turning into federal informants against me. So. It, so it's really it's kind of hard to hear you right now. So I'm hoping that we can get your internet in um or your your reception in a good place because I think we're missing important pieces of your story here. Um and so so from what I gathered though you went into you, you know you got a basketball scholarship you majored in business, um and then there was something that happened with the federal government and that's the part that we weren't able to hear. Do you want to try to repeat that part? Got you. And so, well, you know, what I said, can you hear me a little better? Yes, yes. Got you. Perfect. Um, and I was able to get a scholarship and I was able to get my degree. I went through a, a situation where I visited home right after graduation. Um, and I was in a, uh, I was, a, a, I was five guys tried to rob me at gunpoint. Oh, and wow. um, I ended up, uh, probably was a bad decision, but I fought, I, I fought my way out of that situation. But in the, in the midst of it, I tore my thumb the ligament in my thumb to the point where I could take my thumb and touch my forearm. And so that's what wow. prohibited me to go work out with my agent to go play cross seas. I was still able to play semi-professional, you know, I said I was able to heal myself, but I wasn't able to take on, take and um, 
take on the contracts that I had across these. Wow. Um, but I entered into entrepreneurship and business, and, and basically I, I started, I got going. Um, but, you know, like I say, I spoke on the, the term that I use with crabs in a barrel. Um, yeah. Even though I had made it out of, you know, the inner city and all those demographics, I, you know, the past four years I ended up fighting the federal government uh, and both of my brothers were federal informants against me. And so oh. um, just dealing with the demographics of just fighting that, you know, my book kind of tells the story of, um, you know, how I just tore apart my family and just the, the mental aspect of what it took, the, the mental toll that it took on me. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So talk to me about, so I kind of got an idea of your story and everything. Where are you now? What is your life looking like today? So um, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I have been, uh, you know, my case went, took all these different turns and ups and downs. I, I initially was facing eight years in federal in, um, in prison. Wow. Um, but, you know, luckily in my story, kind of give a little bit of detail. You could, I, we can go into it a little bit if you want to, but I was able to get a uh, 12 months on federal house arrest and so i am four months post federal house arrest um and i'm in houston texas right now okay okay got it and so so we'll go into a little bit more we're going to go to a break first and then uh, when we come back um you know we'll dive a little bit into your story and and where that the stress and joy are kind of existing in your life today so stay with us everyone we'll be right back I'm Dr. Pamela, and uh, we are talking about Black Stress and Black Joy, um, joined by George Johnson, um, who's um, really kind of had um, a journey of, um, you know, just overcoming um, and and finding, you know, his purpose. And, and I love the story of, um, you know, taking a sewing class and saying, you know what, I'm going to monetize this. I'm going to make some money. And it's funny because every business person I know talks about how they did some kind of entrepreneurial thing when they were a kid. And so it just kind of comes back together. So what what is your uh, focus now? What is it that you are trying to dive into now at this phase of your life? So, um, you know, business is always, like I said, was something I've always been into. Um, to be truthfully honest, I, I own 11 different businesses right now. Wow. <laughs> um, I was able to, uh, prior to going to, into the federal situation of, over the past four years, I own four mental health companies. And that's the irony of the my, my story because I never saw myself as uh, dealing with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I was just always the owner of my four mental health um, outpatient um, clinics. Um, I have two back home in Richmond, Virginia, where I'm from. I have one here in the, in the Houston um, area, and I just got open in St. Louis. Wow. So um, that's kind of, you know, what I'm focused on right now. But I do a, a multiple other different things as well. I have an entertainment company. I have I rehab properties back home where I'm from. Uh, I have a I'm actually opening up a school back home, a small school. Um, wow. So I got a lot of things going on right now. OK, wow. So let's start with the mental health clinics. What, what actually what happens there? What how, how do people get served at these clinics? So I, 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 my services are rendered to the um, underpoverished Medicaid demographic. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, for the most part, we work with kids with behavior issues. It's behavioral mental health. So working with kids with ADHD, aggression issues, um, PTSD, um, and, and Medicaid pays um, for our services. I was able to expand. My biggest company is here in Houston. I was able to get a contract with the Houston Independent School District for my services to be rendered in the schools. So 
Um, yeah. And we're working with, you know, quote unquote, we're in the hood. We're working with the kids, you know, that probably not going to say needed the most, but the, the demographic, they're probably not um, going to have access to these type of services just due to their financial situation. Right. Wow. That's that's important important work. So that's, that's huge. So you've got the clinics going that in and of itself can be a lot, you know, to, to manage and to make sure that they're running properly, not to mention the um, liabilities that exist when you're working with people from the standpoint of mental health. So making sure that it's running um, up to the, whatever the codes or whatever the standards are, mm-hmm. um, you know? Um, and so then you're, you've also mentioned, of course, the, the home rehabs and, you know, that's, mm-hmm work as well uh the entertainment um did i leave something out we have home entertainment it's a lot of this stuff but I, I didn't even share but i mean um, oh, yeah. so how let me just ask this then how do you manage all of these things because i get questions i get asked those questions all the time and i have three businesses <laughs> mm-hmm. how, how do you manage 11 at least uh-huh. to be honest um being organized is, is a skill set i had to master because um, just to prioritize all those different things is, is a task in itself. And um, to be honest, I just had a personal assistant. I, I had reached a wall where I couldn't even stay on top of everything. Yeah. So I have a personal assistant um, being organized and just I'm, I'm obsessed with just being consistent. So every day I do the same thing every night before I lay down I, in my phone. I basically map out everything I need to get done and how I'm going to get it done every night. I do that too. Yeah, so <laughs> I love it. That's so important because you 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 go to bed knowing what's clear for tomorrow. You wake up clear, like okay, this is what needs to happen. Um, right. So that that works really well for me as well. So you said that you don't, you didn't really necessarily expect to go get into the mental health piece. Um, if I heard that correctly, what, how did you get into that? Um, so my first job, and that's the irony of my story, was working for my brother. Um, uh, right when I, the, the situation happened of me not able to go play professionally cross seas, I actually started working at his at his company. He had a mental health company, but I was just like a little guy, right? I was just happy to be out of school, getting a paycheck. I was punching holes and just delivering papers, bringing coffee to the office. Um, but like I say, I always had an entrepreneurial mindset. So while I was there, I learned how to do all of the admin um, components of things. And then I just started seeking for more, more knowledge of understanding how the whole scope of business worked. Mm. And it got to a point where I had learned how to run the company from A to Z. Um, your your previous host, she was an LPC, uh, uh, correct? Yes, correct. So, yeah. so those are, she, she would be someone that we are hired to be our clinical staff. So she would kind of oversee um, the, the business and basically provide assessments to the clients and to the, to the kids and those type of things. But I started learning all of the different credentials and different people you needed to have on board to run the, a business um, as such. And so it got to a point where the relationship with my brother that I'm, I'm referencing, it fell apart. Um, and that's kind of part of my book. And one of the guys that ended up being a federal foreman against me, but I had just made it, made it up to my point. I was going to save my first $20,000 and find a consultant to help me start my own company. Yeah. And that's what I did. I actually, um, for my, my, my second year of working, I moved to the projects in, in DC. Um, I was paying $300 a month to live there, but I was saving all my money to in return, get a consultant to help set me up. And I just took a leap of faith and got started on my first mental health company. And now I have four. 
Wow. I love the sacrifice, the moving to DC, paying $300 a month, just doing what you have to do um, and staying focused on what's the future. You know, I'm not going to dwell in the, the current situation, but I've got my eyes focused on the future. How do you recommend that people, because that's a mind thing, you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's com- completely mental. How can somebody acquire that level of mental strength in order to achieve a goal? I'm going to be honest. Uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, was I upset? Of, of, did I feel like all of the the time I put in on the basketball court and, you know, all those early mornings and late nights and just that will to just keep pushing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, did I feel like all that was in vain? And I don't because I was able to figure out, take that athletic approach and just apply those same principles in, in, to business. Yes. And so that hard work and just resilience and just keep going and going and just like, nah, if I keep sowing into myself, I'm, I could reap the benefits. It's something that I just always had. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't no, it wasn't a book that, you know, I read that inspired me. It wasn't like a person or a mentor or a big homie that kept me going. It was just mm-hmm. a self-driven tool or mechanism that I always had was just like my back against the wall. And just like, if I was lifting weights, I need to, push I need to get one more rep in I just was able to translate those that same mentality to business Ooh, I love it I love it I, I too um was it was an athlete college and high school so you get and, what I mean yeah and uh you know I don't think we give enough credit to the level of mental stamina that it takes because yeah we know about the physical stamina with sports but the level of mental stamina that it takes for us to to push through do that one more rep to run that last 10 seconds with all our might you know whatever it takes that translates to business i i would love to talk about that a little bit more uh you know we're talking about stress like this is a way to relieve stress or how to how to dwell within stress so uh stay with us everybody we'll be right back on the live exchange Back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I am joined by George Johnson today to talk about this um, idea of black stress and black joy. And you know, one of the things that we talked about right before the break is how to push through, how to um, really maintain a level of mental stamina to keep going um, when you have a goal that you want to accomplish. And the idea that it's not necessarily something you're taught in a book. Um, but that in, and I'll say our case, because I, I'm, I'm right here with George on this one, um, but that what we learned from, from our athletic life and, and what you learn, you know, in terms of, yeah, we have to have physical stamina, but we also have to have some level of mental stamina. And I'm just curious to know, George, if this is um, kind of what has permeated throughout your business endeavors um, over the years. Um, yeah, and just to piggyback on what you said, uh, like I said, I, I, I owe a lot of credit to just all of those years of just the consistency, the, the repetition, the um, will to just want to be the best I could be um, yeah. and just pushing myself through every wall that I got to go through. And it's the same in business. Every day you're going to have to you're going to have to push through something. Something's going to go wrong. Um, it's going to be days you wake up, you don't feel like it. Um, the accountability when you got once you got people that work for you, um, it's the same position I was in as a point guard on on the, on the court, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's, it, all all of it translate like night and day. It's it's a parallel perfectly, mm-hmm. um, and but the truth of the matter, and I kind of allude to where I where I realized that I had cr- um, crashed and hit a wall. Um, I did, but it was mentally, um, and basically all of the stress that I was dealing with, it got to a point where. 
it was the toughest fight that I had to deal with because it, it, I had became um, didn't I mentally had hit a wall. Now we all athletics have reached a physical wall where I can't go no more. I can't lift this no more. I'm yeah. tired. But this was the first time mentally I had to figure out a way to to, to kind of come back and push through. Right. So so with the the topic of the show being about stress and, and black stress and so forth, um, can you talk a little bit about that? The, the stresses that you may have experienced through any of this process, but specifically what it means to be black, like stress that's unique to black people that you may have experienced. Got you. Um, well, I was always deemed to like handle a lot of pr- a lot of pressure and, and stress, just like I say, starting from athletics and then transitioning to business. Mm-hmm. Um, um, this was this was four years ago. Now it was the beginning of this federal situation, and I, I hopefully a lot of a lot of people don't have to experience it. But the stress of dealing with the federal government and realizing that your internal support system, which you assume would be your family, was now making a decision to help themselves out and now putting you in a situation that you had nothing to do with yeah. that level of stress is I can't even, I can't even give you how to measure it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where I was at. And I had reached a wall, reached a wall where I didn't even know at the time, but I was depressed. And um, I, because of the demographic graphics of just where I'm from, how to deal with stress, you know, that's not nothing you're educated on. You know, it's always just a, a going back to athletics. Come on, keep going. Don't be weak. You know, don't don't be a punk or whatever the case may be. So, like, that was always my approach. Like, all right, this is what I'm dealing with. All right, it is what it is. Like, I got to put it on my back. I got to wake up every day and carry it. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off real quick just to ask the question about what that stress looked like. Because I think some people are under stress, uh, depression. A lot of people might be experiencing depression and they don't even know that they're in it or what it looks like. So yeah. maybe it would be helpful if, you know, if you could tell, like, what did it look like in your life? That's a per- perfect, um, great question. Um, and I kind of, this is a chapter on my book when I realized like something was wrong. Like I say, I st- so even though I wasn't my playing sports anymore, I work out every day, sometimes mm-hmm. twice a day. And so this one day I went to the gym um, and I always warm up on the bench press and I always warm up like maybe 30 times because it's just the bar the bar is 45 pounds and as a man it's kind of easy to do mm-hmm. so this day i went to the bench and i was on the bench press and I, I literally went to lift the bar off no weights on it and i couldn't lift it oh, wow. so i kind of was like i'm tripping like maybe i need a snack so mm-hmm. I, I was working out so i went and got some uh some crackers in the gatorade and i sat there and i was like yeah maybe i just ain't getting enough rest last night or something like and maybe I needed a snack. And I ate a snack, sat there, got my playlist together, got my iPhones, and was like, went back to the bench press, and I literally couldn't lift the mm. ball. Wow. And so it scared me because, like, where did all my muscles go? What's going on? Yeah. And I remember going and sitting in the car, and I just was like, oh, man. And um, I began going down the hole of, like, I went to the doctor, and I shared what I was going through, and she just was like, like you depressed, like you, you, you mentally have reached a point. It don't have nothing to do with your physical state, but it's mentally you are like have hit a wall. And then um, that's when I started seeking like I, what, what I'm going to do, yeah. uh, you know, how I'm going to figure this out. And, you know, therapy was a way to how I figured out to start coming out of this hole that I was dealing with. Mm, wow. And there was a, you know, I, I think um, one of the things that you said earlier was about just kind of trying to eliminate that mental health therapy stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you experience that stigma or were you just like immediately, no, I'm going to therapy? 
Nah, I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, you know, that kind of fueled me to share my story in my book because um, you know, where I'm from, when you stressed out, you get drunk, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna abuse alcohol, you're gonna abuse, you know, weed, you're gonna pop pills. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that's how you're gonna deal with a cope with whatever you're dealing with. You know, all the, you know, me included, along with all the younger people around me, my nephews, you know, all the young boys that I still talk to, that we're we doing something to deal with what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so me being knowledgeable because of the field that I was in and the business that I own, it was like, I don't want to start, like, just, you know, doing these type of things. Um, but I, I was getting drunk all the time. I was, I was getting, I was drinking Hennessy during yeah. this time to just cope with what I was dealing with. But me being knowledgeable, they're like it was a other another way to deal with this, you know, what I was dealing with. That's what allowed me to be like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna try this out. Right, right. Wow. Oh, well, I'm glad you did. I mean, because your own experience can um, you know, help destigmatize this whole thing. And I'm sure this is probably part of what your book does. You know, tell us about your book Double Crossed and um what what the main message is that you're trying to get out to readers. Um so right, um so to summarize it basically, you know. No matter how far I got, how far I went in business, how far outside of, you know, the, the stereotype, typical things that happen in the hood, I looked at it and I was, I mean, I'm, I'm a millionaire at this point. I still ended up dealing with the same stuff. I still dealt, uh, was in the federal court, just like everybody around me. Um, and my book was sharing my story on how I coped with this. And, you know, I try to end my book in a, in a motivational, in a, uh, hopefully it motivated someone like look what I had to deal with and and on top of that look I, I chose the route of not starting to pop pills all day or getting high or getting drunk all day but I went to therapy and it helped me mm-hmm. um, and just showing people like hey like you know it's, a, it's another way to deal with your situation and just how I overcame my situation and went through it and I didn't I didn't compromise on my morals and principles. I had opportunities to become a informant or, or informant myself. Um, I just stuck to my guns and just, you know, stood on my word and my morals and principles and I got through my situation. Right, right. Wow. So when you talk about this, this whole idea of family betrayal, um, you know, where are you all on that now? Are you connected to the family still or, you know, what, what does that look like? Um, so, you know, both of my brothers, I went through this with, these was my heroes. These, these are the people I grew up with. I grew up looking up to. I'm the baby son. Um, so you know, these was, you know, my big brothers in, in, in every capacity. These who I wanted to hang out with. Um, so that pain in itself of dealing with this, you know, I actually went to federal court and my brother was actually with the federal government going to get on a stand against me in front of our mutual family. Wow. So just the, the mental toll that that took on it. But to be frank with you, you know, it tore apart, you know, relationship with my father, um, my mother. I still have my relationship, but the the overall scope of my family kind of just fell apart. And, um, you know, just dealing with those components of now, how, you know, the the trust that I have in people is kind of gone. It's something that I work on now. Um, and I'm in blended, blended families. I have children with, you know, women and, you know, just, you know, the insecure or the PTSD of what I know family did to me yeah. is up to now insert myself or even want to be that vulnerable in that space with other families. Right, right. Well, you know, it's so interesting because, um, you know, as you talk about the, the family stuff, we've all got that, you know, in some way, shape or form. Um, so we deal with our stuff internally with family, but then we've got 
this these social challenges um, with the you know the police brutality and and getting you know um, mistreated and abused and killed by police and then just I don't know if you're aware of what happened in uh, Columbia North Carolina with um, the, the the young black man that was walking down his own neighborhood and was being accosted by um, you know one of the neighbors who happens to be the president of the homeowners association right. um, and so these kinds of things to like to have to live in this every day because it's like you say, you know, I went to therapy and I got better and we can go to therapy and we can get better. And then we wake up one morning and somebody else has been shot by the police or um, I'm walking in my neighborhood and I get harassed by somebody. Well, so when this kind of stress is ongoing, you know, what can somebody do to, to navigate through life? Um, so this is the truth, you know, and I'm still I'm, I'm not fully where I'm supposed to be, but all these things are normalized where I'm from. So these things are now being publicized and pushed out in, the, in, in through social media. Right. It's like normalized in my community. It, and to be honest, it's kind of just accepted. We grew up in this. It was like this before us. And a lot of us believe it's going to be like this when we leave. I mean, when, when we when we gone. Um, but to be honest, I, <laughs> I don't have it figured out. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be frank with you. I, I don't yeah. want to be on your platform and say, "Oh, you need to do this, down the third. I struggle right. just like the next person. And um, there's I don't nothing know. better than your truth. It, exactly. And so, you know, I know the first thing is, you know, getting out of just all how things are normalized. Because when I see that type of stuff on on the social media, on my Instagram and Facebook, it's like, yeah, that's that's how that go. That's, right. that's, that's how it goes um, when we outside. Yeah. Um, but you know, just realizing the first step that I know is just like that's not how it's supposed to go. It shouldn't yeah. be like that. Just you know, right. it shouldn't go like that. So you know, I don't have it figured out, but I know the first battle is just realizing like just that stop normalizing these crazy things that's just <gasps> we just think it's just how it's, how it's supposed to go. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I have more. Um, and then when we come back, we're going to look at this concept called pleasure activism. Um, and uh, we'll kind of see how that plays out in the black community as well. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And I am joined um, by George. George's last name is not in front of me. George Johnson. Sorry, George. <laughs> Uh, but I'm joined by George Johnson, and we are talking about this um, paradox of black stress and black joy. And we've been looking at black stress, and um, I think one of the most important um, strategies that, well, there's two. You know, George really talked about this idea of uh, drawing from the the strengths and the lessons that you know that we can learn from athleticism and apply that to the the goals that we have in life. But also this idea that what we see on the news, these traumatizing images, um, just, you know, black people living their everyday lives and being in danger um, as a result of that, realizing and telling ourselves out loud, this is not okay and this is not normal because it's so easy for us to just kind of say, you know what, this is the way life is. This is, you know, it's always gonna be. Um, And so I think it is important for us to be intentional about saying, nope, this is not normal and this is not okay. Um, so I do appreciate that. Um, just to dive a little bit into the research, um, every hour we, we pull a little research and just kind of talk about that a bit. And from the, I guess, in the uh, world of Black joy and just joy um, in general is a work that's done by um Adrienne Marie Brown, and she basically talks about this idea of pleasure activism. And um, what it basically means is that um, we are, by engaging in our own pleasure, 
by finding ways to indulge in joy, uh, pleasure, and, and, you know, in any way that that works for us as individuals, um, we are actually effectively fighting the system. Um, so when we find our joy, um, when we can indulge in our joy, um, this in and of itself is a form of, rea- um, of, of activism. And there's also a term called joy as, resi- um, as resistance. And um, because the expectation is that, um, you know, by the ways in which we are oppressed or mistreated, abused, killed um, in this society, that it's a it's a way to put the rest of us in check and say, see, you need to be submissive. So you need to be miserable. You need to be fearful. And what joy does and what pleasure activism does is says, no, no, we don't. No, we don't. And this is not normal. It's precisely what you just said, George. No, this is not normal. And we are going to pursue ways to love and enjoy and indulge in life, regardless of what, you know, um, the ways in which we're told we're not supposed to. Um, So I find that really fascinating. And I'm I'm wondering if you have found ways in your life to make life enjoyable, you know, and in spite of the images that we see on TV, are there things that you do and you're like, no, I'm going to enjoy myself. Um, yeah, well, it's twofold. Um, it, one side of things, I love being by the water. So I, I make sure at least, well, now I'm off house arrest, but I, I like to visit the beach and just decompress and just yes. get a mojito and just put on sit on the sand. Um, and the second side of things, I'm, like I'm an advocate, um, and, and, this, and, I, and I think it's a cultural thing, but in our culture, when you when someone – has knowledge of something or or, or or you can help someone out it, some people we, we tend to not share it as if like if we share knowledge about something it's going to hurt what we're doing other cultures they share they pass down knowledge they pass down you know insight they share something that a lot of people might not know to benefit whoever comes after them and so it's something that I always do anybody around me um, I didn't share this but all my friends have stake in, you know, businesses I own, anybody that I know, if I got insight on something that can help them, I'm always trying to share it. If it's from, I got a younger guy, he's real young. He just opened up a food truck. I just help him set that up. Anything, if I have knowledge about, you know, something that our culture don't know, taxes, how that really works. Like if you happen to come across some money or make some money, how that really, how that really go and what you need to do and, and you know, just insight or tools or, or things that people can use to just put them in a better situation. And so I yeah. use my social media for that. I, every, every week I, I share knowledge on how to start this business or do that or something they might not know or a tool on the internet that they could go get insight on certain things. Um, and so I get a lot of pleasure off of just sharing knowledge that I know people that, 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 that follow me or that seek after me that they wouldn't know. Wow. Well, yeah, now that is most certainly pleasure activism to, to be able to find pleasure in sharing this information, but now you're empowering and uplift, uplifting and giving people tools they need, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, yeah, to be powerful in life. I, that's amazing. Um, you know, and some of the ways that, um, that she talks about just, just how to find, because it's almost taboo to think about, um, 
pleasure, you know, especially if we're talking about the taboo topic of sex or if we're talking about, um, you know, alcohol, you mentioned a mojito, you know, <laughs> um, and, and I think one of the things that that and I'm, I'm working on a book myself, um, uh, gosh, I already forgot the um, something in wine. I don't know, but it's basically how, how black women um, come together and um, th- something about wine. We're just like, is there going to be wine there? Let's go, you know, come on, you know, <laughs> um, but how we've used this as a way to, um, as an, you know, as a way to survive and cope through COVID and racism and all of these things that have been happening. Um, but we've found ways to gather and to find, you know, love amongst each other so that, we can be strong enough to take to the streets or write those bills or, you know, that, that change legislation or whatever it is our role is in society. For me, for example, I'm a college professor, so I try to use my position in class to help enlighten students about what's going on. So wherever we are, you're working in the mental health realm, you're working in the housing realm. I mean, and right. so there's, there's a lot of different ways that we have the influence to make a difference, but we can't do it if we're depleted. And so that whole idea of pleasure and joy is what gives us the fuel we need to do this work. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely, I, I agree. And that that's the piece of my whole mind of thinking, like if I could build up the people around me and put them in a better position, it'll make us all stronger together to align ourselves, to redirect ourselves. And, you know, financial freedom is the is one of the first steps of you got to put yourself in position to even do these type of things because it's, well, it's, it costs money. Let me tell you something. One of the things that I noticed, because I, too, have found great success in my business and what I didn't understand when I didn't have a lot of money was the level of freedom that you truly get when you do have money <laughs> and not, and not just like, Oh yeah, I have money and I could do, but no, 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 There's like literally an opening of the mind, you know? So for, for example, um, the ho- one of the, the house that I bought for, for, you know, it's just me and my daughter and it has five or six bedrooms. And I, you know, I, and people are like, why would you do that? Well, you know what you never thought of before when you're struggling and you've got to live paycheck paycheck is that every room doesn't have to be a bedroom. You can exactly. have a dance room. Right. You can have a bathroom, you can have a meditation room, you can have an exercise room, you can have a library, you know. And so when we don't realize what expansion can do, um mm-hmm. and then there's a lot of shame and this goes back to the pleasure. There's a lot of shame and why would you want all that? That doesn't right. make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing what happens when the doors open up. No, exactly. Exactly. That's definitely true. For sure. So I, you know, I can go on and on about that, but it's, you know, it's, it's so important. One of the things that um, I would love to have you do when we come back is, and I know this is a spur of the moment question. So if you're not prepared, no worries, gotcha. but if you wouldn't mind reading maybe a few lines of your book, like maybe three <laughs> Find a really good uh, few sentences that you think uh, would be good to share when we come back. Would you be willing? Yeah, I'll figure something out for you. I got you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We will be right back, everyone. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and I'm joined by George Johnson. um, And uh, we are talking about um, Black stress and Black joy. And he's also the author of Double Crossed. And um, are you able to read something to us, George? Yeah, so I I just randomly turned the page and uh, and opened to a a passage, I guess. And um, I'll read it for you, and I'll elaborate. And I kind of self-explanatory, but I'll read it. Okay. Okay. 
Page 135, I say, uh, carry yourself with dignity. Dignity. Be true to yourself. Hold your head up. Fight for yourself. But fight in a way you can look back on, on with respect and the way your loved ones can respect. Never let the situation you're going through turn you into something you're not. No matter how hard you, how hard or how long it is, know that you're going to go through it, get through it. Um, and I mean, I kind of self-explanatory, but it was important to me. And it's something that I just carried along in the midst of everything I went through for the whole four years was that I didn't want to do anything that was cowardly done. Um, I had opportunities that my lawyer was telling me, hey, we could do this. We could cooperate with this and help them with this situation. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, this not for me. This, this was this was my brothers doing this to help themselves out. They had nothing to do with this. I don't want to now become and do cowardly things or, or, or this this lawyer things that you know I, I wouldn't be able to look look back on ten years from now, twenty years from now, and be like that. You know, leave have a bad taste in my mouth. And I wanted to be able to wake up no matter what my situation is. If I go away for four years, look myself in the mirror and be like, no, I, I stuck with my morals and principles. That's good. So just be be true to who you are. I love that. Um, it's so easy to kind of fall into um, that mindset, whether or not people actually act it out, but that mindset of um, revenge, you know, and and you know, and and to have somebody trying to talk you into it, um, it says a lot. Right. You know, no, I'm going to stand by who I am. Definitely. Um, I had a lot of situations to, that within this whole thing where, you know, if I did this, if I had became informant and helped her with this situation, I was like, I, I'm not doing none of that. Mm. Whatever come with me being true to me, I'm going to just stand with that. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to you can lay your head, your head down, go to sleep at night and exactly. peace. Yeah. Yeah. I commend you for that. Um, so it's funny. I just got a text um, from a friend of mine who said, you know, the guy that you're interviewing right now, I just saw him in a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, 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 I got a lot of social media um, bringing traffic to my page to, to, you know, push my book. I love it. I'm going to have to go check out uh, <laughs> uh, your, your TikTok. Um, but yeah, so it's been really great having you. I just want to make sure that um, we can give the audience um, some information about how to contact you. If they're interested in what you're doing, um, how can they follow you? Um, well, I'm using um, Instagram as my main source of social media where people contacted me. On there, I have reenactments of different things that went on. I share six segments of my uh, therapy, that my personal therapy. Um, it was actually recordings of when I was going through this. My phone was tapped for two years, so I actually was able to get the recordings of my wow. phone conversation. So I have a conversation with me and my brother in the midst of in the fire of what we're dealing with. So my social media, my Instagram is, um, uh, I think you all have it here, the 2X Cross. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that in my link in my bio, you can get my book on Amazon. Um, I have a paperback and an ebook, um, And, you know, you can contact me there. Sounds good. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been um, really good information. I, I love when I get to um, talk to people about their own journey because, you know, I, of course, 
the book smart, the book smarts and the research and all of that is one avenue, but then the real life experience um, is another way. I think we probably learn even more yeah. from hearing somebody's story and uh, what they did and didn't do. What, what you know. So I really appreciate you taking that time with us today. Um, so thank you everybody for joining in and you know tuning into the live exchange today to have this really important conversation about black stress and black joy. We need to use that joy and fuel us because the stress can weigh us down and and really tear us up from the inside out um so really take the time to find your joy to find your pleasure um to you know because we don't want the stress to take over um join us next week we're here every week from 11 to 1 um to exchange compelling dialogue around humanity intellect and change uh join me next week as um at 11 o'clock as we talk about hair and stress and um, and and really just um, there's so much to be said for black hair and um, you'll be surprised um, and so we have a couple of um, experts who are going to come in and talk to us about that next year next year next week <laughs> next week so remember t- together we can right the wrongs we can speak the truth we can rise above and we can stand for change have an empowering week <laughs>